Hello out there, all you sensational sloths. Welcome to another week of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Sarah, and I am joined by the also sensational Casey. I'm just going to lean into it now and double dip on my (laughs) adjectives. We got to keep them positive. (laughs) Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, Lovely to see you again this week, Casey. How's everything? It is good. It snowed for like the first time today but also it was like for like three seconds so it's like oh look snow and then it turned back to rain so I like a good one to two decent snows that stick on the ground for a little bit per winter but we are not getting anywhere close to it it's been like 40 to 50 degrees every day Mm -hmm. I am pretty much done with winter by January so uh which is not good because it's still the beginning of winter (laughs) in January but uh I of course I'm down south now. And Casey, you will notice that my Christmas tree is no longer yes. up behind me. So I finally, finally took it down. And I was thinking uh, when I lived back up north, it was so depressing. I hated taking the Christmas tree down. I would leave it up like, I mean, I already, I still left it up an right. inordinately long amount of time, but like an extremely, like I would leave it up through February sometimes up north because it's just like, I just liked the ambiance. Like I liked it the is lighting. Nice. And There's then when you take it down, lodge like, feel. Yeah. yeah, winter is just so gloomy this time yes. of year, like this late January, February, you, I would feel it like it was depressing to me. So it was nice down here the day that I took down my tree. It was like 75 degrees and sunny. And so I had my, you know, my screen, my windows open and you just you have the sunshine and the breeze coming in. So I'm um, uh, jealous. It's been warm, but we visited uh, one of our greenhouse growers uh, at my work this week, and he was like, yeah, it's warm, except it's been cloudy and rainy every day. And so like, he's like, our heating bills are crazy, but it's also just been gloomy (laughs) the whole time. So I I like a good crisp winter day, snow on the ground, sun shining, it being kind of bright, little blue sky. We really haven't, haven't broached that at all. Just been wet. Well, we're going to talk about something I think a little happier today for a lot of people, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk about sloths. And Sarah, I was curious about what you feel about sloths. So, for example, my sister, I found out, hates them. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm always curious to hear people's extreme reactions to this very interesting animal before i answer that does your sister have like what is her reasoning so some backstory um during the height of covid i was a sloth keeper Mm -hmm. and took care of eight two-toed sloths and i would occasionally send pictures of them i personally am like a animals are very cool I don't think sloths are particular like they don't get me excited in the same way primates do um, until I learned more about them. Then I'm like, oh, these are weirdos. I like that about them. But I think all of the pictures that I took of them, like with their little Muppet faces, my sister's like, I don't like it. I don't like how their eyes are. I don't like how their, their piggy noses are. Yeah. I just, so I sent so many sloth photos during the pandemic. Turns out she hated them and didn't have the heart to tell me. <laughs> I do. I feel like I remember you telling me this at some point now, uh, that is ringing a bell. Okay. That's, that's fair enough. That's just sort of a, she has just a general, yeah. like they just don't appeal. I, you hit on, I think basically how I 
feel about them a little bit. And I know we're going to expand on some of these things as we discuss this evening, but sloths just became all of the rage, I feel like, for quite a while. And I did not understand it at all. I was like, I there, there was just nothing particularly appealing about them to me. Sure, if you get a chance to look up close at a sloth's face, I can see the cuteness there in the way that I can in almost all mammals in general. You know, sure, yeah. I think opossums are cute if you look, you know, closely enough at them. Uh, so I, but I, I just did not understand the mass appeal that sloths have. I was not a, a sloth keeper, but I did get the chance to to be up close with them and spend a little more time ar- around them. Even that didn't necessarily, it wasn't what got me again. I, they're cute, fine, whatever. But they are crazy unique. Like they are such unique animals. It just, the more that I learned about them, like every little, anytime I tried to go like, look something up, learn something more, if it, they're so unique. And so that really got me. I started to really enjoy talking about sloths to people. So I think they are fascinating animals. Do not understand the mass sort of cultural craze at all. This, to be clear, like the time that we were interacting with them was shortly after Zootopia came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that was very much a cultural touch point that people would bring up when we were interacting with yeah. them. I think that helped, but I don't think that started it. I think that Kristen were Bell already crying at the sight of a sloth. See, I, I feel like that never. I didn't know about that. that. So I think that happened on Ellen. Kristen Bell. People told me about yes. it, but I was like, I wouldn't. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> saw sloths. She started crying and. I then witnessed that same thing mm-hmm. happen many times, which is very strange because the only time I've ever really seen people cry in front of animals like at a zoo is um, by babies sometimes, yeah. like sometimes, sometimes they'll be like, oh my gosh, it's so cute. But like grown adults crying at the sight of a sleeping furball was like very- You can't even see its face. Very um, surreal to me because I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't get it. Like it's just, it just isn't isn't clicking for me. But uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the parts I think are very interesting mm-hmm. about sloths, which is that they are freaks of nature. They yes. are little aliens climbing around in the rainforest. Um, and then also how sloths are impacted by human interactions, both on like an ecosystem level, but also because of this cultural craze that we have around them and how that actually impacts slots and how we can help. So stick around because that's what we're going to be talking about today. All right, and we are back to talk about sloths. I think it's worth it just to sort of break down first what a sloth is. And that at at base level, they are a mammal, although they break a lot of mammal rules as well. Um, So they've got fur. They are technically (laughs) warm-blooded. And they give birth to live offspring that they feed with milk. So that's great. We know that. But other than that, like their their closest living relatives are anteaters. 
and then a bunch of families of extinct ground sloths. So back in the day, we're talking like Ice Age times and before, there were like 12 foot tall sloths living in the Americas and they were giant animals so big that they could eat like an avocado and pass the avocado pit. And you guys know how big those are through their bodies. And they were actually the primary seed dispersers for trees like avocados. The only reason avocados are still around is because humans like to eat them. So we're the good seed dispersers, but sloths would actually eat them. Over time, those larger species died out. And through evolution, there were sloths that were in the sea. There were sloths that were on the ground. And then two branches of that family evolved independently to go up into the trees. And those are the ones that we have around today. So we've got two toad sloths and we got three toad sloths. Sarah, can you explain why we call them two toad and three toad sloths? Uh, because we're weird. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they're described as two fingered or three fingered uh, as well. So all sloths have three fingers on their back. Yes, three Feet. toes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How, I, I, the, however you want to mix up those words. Uh, and then uh, two-toed sloths have two on their front, whereas three-toed sloths have three on their front. So you have to be looking at their front digits. To there are other visual distinguishers. Right. Most of what you see, oftentimes in sort of pop culture, that have the appearance of the three-toed sloth. Whereas if you go to a zoological institution, what you're going to see almost all of the time are actually the two-toed slots. Yeah. So when you see like that t-shirt of like, it's a lazy Monday and there's a mm-hmm. sloth. With the little bands around the eyes. Yes. The mask, that mm-hmm. is more like a three-toed sloth. And weirdly, sometimes you'll see them like sitting on their bellies or things on tree limbs and sloths don't do that Mm-mm. at all. They hang, <laughs> they hang upside down. Um, these are genetically distinct they are separated. They probably separated about 30 million years ago. So you are never going to have a two and a half toed sloth. Like they cannot interbreed with each other. They are two different families and there are two species of two toed sloths and four species of three toed sloths, just to throw some more numbers in there. And they have overlapping, but also somewhat distinct ranges. Is that correct? Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and we're talking about um, Southern and, and Central America. Mm-hmm. That's the, the places we're talking about. And where, what sort of habitat do they live in, Sarah? They're found in the rainforest. In Trees the rainforest. are very, very important to them, which we'll talk more about. So important. They really need primary rainforest. So like those big mature trees. We're not talking about scrappy little trees. We're talking about big mature trees that they really need to live. So just some crazy day-to-day sloth facts to throw at you. Most mammals are, when we say that they're warm-blooded, quote-unquote, means that they're able to maintain their own homeostasis, which means that their temperature does not fluctuate very much. So we know that we have a fever when our temperature goes a couple degrees higher than what it's supposed to be. And that's true for most mammals. Sloths, no. (laughs) They maintain a much lower and widely fluctuating body temperature than most mammals. And it ranges between normally 74 to 92 degrees, which is That's just a crazy range. Very weird. Like just very weird. Yeah. I mean, and to the point where it made me, I was laughing a little bit, Casey, when you 
said that at the beginning of like technically they're endothermic because sometimes they are it is you will find stated that they are not like they're referred to as poikilotherms or that you know people will talk about how they do things to maintain their body temperature which I know we'll talk about too uh in similar ways to how a reptile would behave because they don't really maintain their body temperature at a set point the way that we think about with most most mammals. So it's just funny just that one of those basic mammal things right off the bat, sloths are like, eh, not us, you know? <laughs> Animals do not like to conform to boxes. Like mm-hmm. humans love order. We love categories. We like to put things in boxes. Mm-hmm. Animals, they, evolution defies those like very simple categorizations. So that's when you say like, this is what a mammal is. And then you're like, they give live birth except platypi and echidnas. And they are warm-blooded except for sloths. And <laughs> and most mammals all have the same number of vertebrates in their necks as well, except sloths and manatees. Like yeah, what? There's what? a couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so random. And and for two-toed sloths, they have five cervical vertebrae. And for three-toed sloths, they have seven vertical or uh, nine, nine. They I was going to say, nor- yeah, normal, normal seven. seven. They have what. nine. So for the two-toed sloth, they can basically bend their head. Like if they look up, they can keep looking up and it's go almost bonkers. backwards. It's yeah. very weird. It's-, <laughs> it's so crazy. See, so this is what I mean. Like immediately, like five minutes into our conversation, I'm already with like giddy about the crazy oh, things about sloth. if if there was a slot sitting in front of me i would be less excited about that than i am to just like think about all of the things that are so crazy uh, about slots and sometimes they make sense like the temperature fluctuation thing we use a lot of energy to maintain our body temperature that just happens like a lot of the energy as we're metabolizing our food and things like that we're working really hard internally our bodies are working really hard to maintain our body temperature and we know that that's a thing about slots if you know anything about slots they're not known for their high levels of energy which we can discuss but so it makes sense from that standpoint that they wouldn't be able to maintain that consistent body temperature but it's just it's crazy to see how they live like that their whole evolutionary track seems to be from an energy conservation standpoint Mm -hmm. they don't dedicate a bunch of resources to maintaining their own body temperature like you said behaviorally they're gonna in the morning go warm up in the sun if they get too cold the bacteria in their gut that digests their food will die off and so that like hypothermia is very much a a big threat for sloths individually but they also have lower muscle mass that makes them lighter in the trees but also it means they burn less energy that way and there is actually a lot of debate about how much they sleep a lot of the information that we're giving you today comes from a researcher named rebecca cliff and she does just some really intensive sloth research. She runs the Sloth Conservation Foundation, which I'm also drawing a lot from, but she wrote a book called Life in the Slow Lane. And it uh, has some really great up-to-date research about sloths. But one of the things she points out is that we actually don't know nearly enough about what they do. So some people will hypothesize that sloths sleep 15 to 18 hours a day. Others say it's more between eight and 10, which is a lot more closer to what a human does. So we're still kind of figuring that out. But definitely, I mean, I've I've watched sloths fall asleep in the middle of eating. <laughs> That's very cute to me. <laughs> yeah. And the fact of the matter is, 
when they're awake, they're not they're not moving around a lot (laughs) and they don't have to right they can subsist on about 100 calories a day if they need to and they hang out in one tree eating leaves which are not fast at running away the the faster animals like the toucans and the monkeys are going to be picking off the yummy fruits and sloths are just like satisfied to eat leaves whatever's there that nobody else wants we have to talk about the bathroom fact about sloths absolutely yes so the sloths travel almost exclusively through the trees like they don't really come down to the ground two-toed sloths will come down to the ground about once a week to poop once a week once a week that's the only poop that they do once a week <laughs> so talk about your slow metabolism. Yes. When they eat, the food that's going in their mouth won't exit the back end for generally about a month. It can go as long as 52 days from more recent research. Um when they do poop, guys, remember soft zookeeper for a hot second here. It's a lot of poop. <laughs> it's like if you have taken care of goats or rabbits and you know like those little tiny turds that they that, like little pellets it's like that except for it's like compressed together into a stack but if it hits the ground hard enough in a zookeeper capacity you'll have the little pellets rolling around too <laughs> so when we would talk about how much a sloth weighs Right. Keepers would be like, it depends on what day of the week it's like if they use the bathroom recently or not. Like if that's how much it is, it can actively like affect their their weight. Like a third of their body weight. Mm-hmm. So yes, they can lose pounds. <laughs> it uh for the record does not smell very good. Um, and it's a lot <laughs> of it. Um, but, and they're not really sure why they come down because some species of sloths don't come down from the trees to do this. You'd think, why would they take the risk? Because sloths are very, very vulnerable on the ground. They are meant for climbing through the trees. And there's some different hypotheses, one of which is that this is a way that they scent mark and kind of let other sloths know where they're at. Um, another hypothesis has to do with another incredible fact about sloths, which is basically that they have a little ecosystem on their back. So, Sarah, do you want to talk a little bit about sloth hair? It's very coarse on the outside. It's very dense. They're not as sort of soft as people might imagine uh, they are. So that helps keep them drier, too. Yeah. Right? It's more wicking. Yeah. 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 And they're, like you said, they basically have an ecosystem. They get this, like, algal growth on their hair so if you google some pictures of sloths you'll see they they look green so they're kind of this depending on the species they sort of have a yellow golden to brown coloration but then oftentimes you'll see this this green tinge yeah and their hair is actually it is i keep wanting like to use grooved, the word designed yeah right? yeah, yeah it it's has... grooved it is meant for to encourage the yeah. growth of of algae and they can have fungi and algae and things growing in that fur sloths from what we can tell don't really actively eat it but there are certain insects that do and live in their fur specifically a sloth sloth moth moth. (laughs) it's just fun to say it is sloth moth it 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 only lives on sloths and they did studies between three-toed and two-toed sloths and found that the sloths that were coming down to use the bathroom had a much higher population of sloth moths. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Had a much higher population of sloth moths in their hair. And so they think that perhaps 
going down to the ground is part of the sloth moth cycle. Now that then kind of begets the question, which is why would the sloth want more sloth moths right. on its body? And I don't know that we really have that answer yet. Um, so there's just so many questions. There's so there. many questions. It feels like for all of the weird things that we know about sloths, there's so much more weird underneath that, that we still have to dig into. And I, I use the, 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 the word weird, like very lovingly, like weird, yes. weird in our brains, things that seem very strange to us. There's still just a lot of mystery to to dig under to understand how these things all work together. Yeah, I don't think we think about mysterious when we think about sloths, but there is scientifically is so much we yeah. just do not understand. And honestly, interacting with sloths, gauging their thought process is almost impossible um, because they don't make facial expressions the same way that you and I do but also even to the point that like primates or dogs <laughs> do they are they just don't have a lot of body language that indicates a lot of how they're feeling about things um, so you end up projecting a lot onto them about what what are they doing at the moment and what that could be going through their head but they just don't perceive the world the same way we do either. They have terrible eyesight. I've seen sloths try and grab onto shadows that they thought mm -hmm. were branches, like less than a foot in front of them. Like yeah. They could not tell the difference because it's very light-based. So there's just a lot about how they perceive the world that's different than us. They have an excellent sense of smell. If we put, like we tried to use gloves because it was during COVID. They hated the smell of the gloves. They didn't want to eat from our hands. If you put the wrong hand sanitizer or perfume on that day, the sloths would act differently, and that's because they're so sensitive to the sense of smell. And then behaviorally, it's important to note that they are primarily solitary. So you're not going to see people would be like, what's a group of sloths called? And that's one of those questions. <laughs> right. Yeah. Irrelevant. <laughs> um, you might find multiple sloths hanging out in a tree, especially females. You will not see them snuggling. You will not see them like playing together. Um, you might see a mom with her mm -hmm. baby, but males tend to be more territorial because they are fighting over breeding rights to the females in the area. They don't do a whole lot of communication. They do a lot of scent marking, which yeah. is gross when you see it up close. Um, <laughs> uh, and then th female three-toed sloths will scream <laughs> when it's time when they are feeling ready for a boyfriend they will climb up to the top of the trees and they will scream out into the forest to let other sloths know where they're at and, and then that's... the male sloths will come slowly running. charging through <laughs> the trees <laughs> so the noises i've heard them make is a lot of kind of like grumbling noises mm -hmm. kind of burpy noises and then just a lot of like chewing <laughs> So they're designed for energy conservation, but also for living upside down, which is very different from most other species of mammal as well. Like some of us will hang upside down, but like they live upside down. But like I can't hang upside down for more than, you know, 20 seconds or whatever <laughs> before, you know, we, the blood starts rushing to our heads and we are a mess. So imagine living your entire life moving from one place to another, sleeping, giving birth, eating, yep. all of these things upside down. Their esophagus is specially formulated to allow them to swallow hanging upside down. Um, sloths spend about 90% of their lives hanging upside down, suspended by branches from their claws. If you have seen the claws on a sloth, they are like very long. <laughs> they are anywhere from generally two to four inches long. They're worn down naturally as the sloth climbs around. We had a very old man sloth who I loved very dearly. 
at the zoo who that we had to assist him with a dremel on his claws because he was over that whole climbing thing for the most part but the they are very very thick and it's correct me if i'm wrong he's using it part of their like digit it's part that extends and then there's additional claw yes beyond that so if you want to picture a sloth's hand um, especially, I guess I can speak to mostly Hoffman's two-toed slots. But if you put your hand out in front of you, and then vertically, you were to visualize your hand being half the size. So just, you know, two fingers and half the size of the palm. The palm would basically stay the same. They're, they've got a pink, fleshy palm right down there. And then instead of having long fingers, you would actually see the fingers end very abruptly mm-hmm. and turn into very long nails. So it's about as long as your fingers would be from your palm. Uh, and the bones actually come into the nail. And if you look through them, you can see the yeah. the finger bones within the, the nail. And then the nail grows as a sheath around right. it. And so the nail will continue to grow, um, but it just gives them an extra layer of strength in there. And they basically just can only move those two are bound together with that palm. And they only move up and down in that one direction, really. Yeah. And again, just the way that they are built sort of allows for that to take place, like that those claws hooking over the branches with very little energy expenditure so you or i would have to grip we would have to hang on with our digits and use energy to be flexing those muscles to close our fingers and for them that's more of a sort of natural that's the resting yeah state to be in so the contracted muscle is Mm -hmm. that um like that's that's how they hold on they basically have to use zero energy for that they're they have documented sloths passing away hanging upside down and just continuing to hang upside down because they just use that little energy so they can fall asleep they don't use really any energy or brain power to make that motion happen um their internal organs are attached to their ribs by internal bands of tissue and that lifts those organs up off of their lungs so that they can breathe without expending as much energy so like they'll do these scientific studies being like oh they use 13 percent less energy because of this adaptation <laughs> they have 46 ribs which is a lot of ribs. Um, and that allows them to survive falls of up to 90 feet. So sloths do sometimes it, fall out of trees. Yes, yes. That's a horrifying thought, though. Imagine that. But incredible yeah. that incredible. they survive it. They do sometimes die falling out of trees, mm-hmm. but this definitely gives them a much increased ability to survive those falls. And then they have about half the muscle mass of a typical mammal their size. So it reduces their weight allowing them to travel on thinner branches um, but it also makes it difficult for them to shiver to keep themselves warm so something that our bodies does as it reacts to cold is to kind of rapidly contract and expand and and we shiver and warm ourselves up but uh sloths don't really have that ability to do the same thing so if you've ever seen a sloth cl- crawl on the ground which i have had the misfortune of seeing it's pretty <laughs> um it horrifying i don't know how to describe it exactly they think the first like conquistadors that came into south america and saw sloth saw it on the ground and they were like why did god do this (laughs) (laughs) it's so slow it doesn't do anything hence their terrible names like sloth is a one of the seven deadly sins um but that's because that's not what they're supposed to be most of the time and it's their most vulnerable position they can get eaten very easily that way a couple other things they've got crazy monstrous teeth um, 
doesn't make any sense when you're thinking about their diet of leaves, but they are probably for defense um, and they're pretty gnarly. When you're not fast, you know, you so ideally camouflage, ideally they're not going to get noticed right. by predators that are so slow and so Hence move the so rarely. Yes, uh, that helps them camouflage additionally too. So that's number one. But if number one fails, they're not out running anything even mm-hmm. in the trees certainly not on the ground so you gotta they can use those claws and presumably those teeth if they have to as a last resort sloths can definitely move faster than you think yes. they can too um so if you've seen the zootopia scene very like, exaggerated very exaggerated i have had a sloth come at me because she didn't want to come out of the tree that she mm-hmm. was in and she needed to come in because it was about to storm not unscary yeah, <laughs> they're for very sure. fast if they need to be it's just an expansion of energy that they don't want to, to do All and it's time. very short yeah. range yeah like yeah so it is funny though just on a sort of tangent to that you could tell when people would see sloths how familiar they are with pop culture sloths versus not because sometimes when a sloth would move and somebody was there even just like moving normally not moving yeah. because they felt threatened or anything like that just a normal sloth movement which is slow but not as slow so it was it was almost a 50-50 when people saw them move at least for me sometimes people would be like wow, they really do move so slowly, like when they see them move. And then other people would see them and be like, oh, wow, like they move so much more quickly than I thought they would. And you know that those people, like their primary exposure to sloths was Zootopia. (laughs) Yes. So that that came to be sort of my framework for how I would describe (laughs) how quickly they move uh, to people faster than what you might think if you've seen Zootopia. <laughs> yes, for sure. And I think that that probably also, if I imagine those same people who'd only seen Zootopia going out and finding a sloth in the wild, that they would probably be pretty uh, terrified <laughs> if they tried to pick one up thinking mm-hmm. that like this thing cannot move very slow. No, that sloth will hurt you <laughs> if it can yeah. uh, because it thinks that you're its predator. Like I said, they don't see very well. Their interactions with each other are very limited, let alone any other animals. They don't want to be touched. They are not not big touching animals. Um, six of the sloths that we had at the facility we worked at were orphan sloths. Um, they were orphaned in Panama. And so they had been handled from a very young age. So we were able to handle them but um we had to build a relationship with them they Mm -hmm. very much could tell the difference between people Mm -hmm. and like they had different levels of comfortability and different circumstances and so we never kind of forced them off of the branch if that wasn't something they were super interested in and we'll talk a little bit about why that's super important in a minute um sarah why do sloths matter why should people care about sloths as always, I think sloths matter because they exist, and yeah. I just think that that they there is intrinsic value to all living things. Like we said, they are crazy unique. There is so much left to learn about them, and I think that is also something that is valuable and worth protecting in and of itself. We know that this sloth moth is dependent on them for survival. So literally a, a another creature needs this animal to survive. And 
they live in the tropical rainforest, which as we've talked about before, is a important place that is home to a great variety of life, much of which is going to be found nowhere else on earth. So if somebody liking sloths is going to get people to be more invested in protecting that area, then that's very valuable as well. Yeah, they would be considered an umbrella species, which basically if you protect this animal, you get a whole bunch of bonus animals with them. There's millions of animals that live alongside them in the rainforest. And so protecting that habitat for sloths means protecting lots and lots of species. So if we can harness mm-hmm. that that love of them, this, that passion yeah. for good, uh, we'd be <laughs> unstoppable. But it does have a double-edged sword, which we've talked about before. Is cute can be a, a curse as well. Um, so I'd say there's like two main issues with sloths and their populations. So they range in conservation threatenedness, basically, um, all the way to critically endangered, but um, they're, they're throughout the spectrum depending on the species. In normal circumstances, they're one of the most common animals in the rainforest. They'd be hard to see because they'd be way up in the trees, but there would be a lot of them. But uh, there's not a lot of rainforest, so that tends to be a huge issue for them. Just like other species, the number one threat to species worldwide is habitat loss and degradation. Um, No trees means no sloths. Yeah, you can't overstate that. Trees to them is land for us like i just feel to put a it's sloth like on the ground is like a dolphin like yeah yeah I, I was gonna say to put a sloth on the ground i feel like it's telling would be the it can sort of de- telling people to go live in the water like right. we could some of us can swim maybe some of us Make could catch fish yeah. <laughs> sometimes maybe we could figure something out for a little bit but ultimately we're probably all gonna die Right. Like, you know, something's yeah. going to catch us. We're going to run out of food. We're going to be, you know, not be able to get to a safe place. That's what life for sloths on the like they are super awkward. It is uncomfortable to watch them on the ground. They don't have the muscle for it. They don't have this skeletal structure for it. There's no food that that they're going to. I mean, maybe they could eat plants on the ground, but you know what I mean? Like their, their food's not yeah. down there. Like it's, there's, there's no survival. It's not like other animals that might be able to figure out how to get from one stand of trees to another. Like that's incredibly dangerous for these animals. Absolutely. Speaking of swimming, they're actually excellent swimmers yeah, too. That's something we didn't <laughs> mention. Their bodies are full of lots of gas. Yeah. So they're very buoyant. <laughs> It is not something that you would imagine to look at a sloth and be like, oh yeah, that I could that animal could fall in the water and be fine. But they absolutely are great yes. swimmers. There's an excellent video of I think it's a pygmy sloth uh swimming and it's narrated by David Attenborough. And it I mean, it's just like very clear water and you can see mm-hmm. the sloth swim. It's it's very impressive. Um so they're actually faster in water and sometimes to get from tree to tree, because they do switch trees to find mates or to switch mm-hmm. up their diet so they don't ingest too much of the same sort of toxin or tannins within leaves. Oftentimes they wait for the rainforest to flood and then they're able to travel more safely mm-hmm. uh, around because they have to worry about getting picked off just in the trees by like harpy eagles for example but on the ground you keep harpy eagles but you add like jaguars Jaguars. (laughs) and other um, medium-sized cats that live in their area yeah um so uh but if you add that on top of it let's say we take some of the trees away and then you add in what is replacing those trees which could be agriculture um it could be logging practices 
And a lot of times it's just expanded urban areas where people are living. Roads. Roads. Yeah. So you're going to end up with a lot more vehicle strikes for sloths. Um, Three of the six orphan sloths that we had had their moms killed by domestic dogs. So those sloths were basically just like the equivalent of raccoons around here. And our our dogs get rabbits all the time. You know, that that that's normal squirrels for them to chase. Sloth's not going to be able to run away from a dog. And so in those cases, the baby was able to survive, but the mom was killed. Um, so that's a whole new threat that they have to face on the ground in addition to their normal natural predators. Uh, in, in addition to all those threats from roads, from dogs, and other animals that we've introduced into the area, uh, we've also seen increased genetic abnormalities in sloth populations. And they're not 100% sure what's going on there. That's one of the places that they're, the Sloth Conservation Foundation is investigating a little bit more. It could possibly d- be due to pesticide exposure. So that was one of the sloths that we had as well. His mom died from um, pesticide exposure. Um And so that might be causing them to have genetic abnormalities, but it could also be inbreeding. And so when you take away swaths of rainforest, those populations get isolated. They end up inbreeding with each other. So also interestingly, they studied like four populations of sloths in Costa Rica, and they found that there were sloths that should not have been in each of those populations. And they think what it was is basically like, oh, they had a north population and weirdly it had ones from like across a mountain range in the eastern population mixed up in there they think what it is is sloths are actually one of the most common animals in south and central america to be admitted to rescue centers and those rescue centers can oftentimes rehabilitate sloths but if they don't have a good background on them or they're not equipped to have a good release area they've been releasing them in the wrong areas so interesting. We haven't really talked about this before. We've talked about inbreeding depressions, which is basically something I think everybody's familiar with. It's inbreeding ends up increasing your risk of genetic abnormalities. When you introduce individuals of different populations to each other, there's something called an outbreeding depression. And basically it's like diluting the traits of that population with the traits from the new incoming ones. Normally, we think genetic diversity is a very good thing. But if you've got, for example, an animal that is uh, adapted and evolved to exist in one ecosystem, maybe it's a, a, a mountain area, and it's got certain genetic traits built into its biology, and you start introducing lowland animals in there, and they are close enough that they can interbreed, But now you have individuals that are maybe less fit for that mountain habitat Hmm. because the the genes that make them so good at surviving in the mountain habitat are now diluted by the lowland habitat incomers. So they're also exploring that that phenomenon. Interesting. I'm curious about that. Yeah, it's something she basically they were saying is that it's going to take a lot more resources to a lot of these rescue centers to be able to better return sloths from an original population to one area and then for the inbreeding to increase access of populations to each other. So adding in like basically tree highways Mm -hmm. in between different little stepping stones of forests to allow the sloths to continue to access mates of the similar population. Another thing that they have to deal with when there's increased urbanization is electrocutions. So in Costa Rica, over 3,000 animals are electrocuted on power lines every year, and about half of those are sloths. 
and only about 25% of animals who are electrocuted survive. So it is a real threat to them. And this is just in their minds, you know, something to climb on, right? That's there. Is that generally the idea that they're just... I mean, like having watched sloths try and climb on shadows, Mm -hmm. I assume, yeah, they think that it's just another tree. They're adapted to do... Basically, when you see a sloth climb, um, they'll reach out and kind of test it with one of their their paws, claws, Claws. appendages. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and they'll kind of test how much it can hold their body weight. They're they're smart as they need to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And so a power line would hold you, but uh, once you come in contact with it, then it becomes very dangerous. So the other big thing that I think is worth talking about with threats to sloths because I'm sure like climate change could be also an issue Mm -hmm. that you could talk about based on that that fluctuating body temperature and the reliance on kind of consistent weather patterns um, is tourism which is really fueled by our obsession with sloths and other animals so Sarah we've (laughs) we've kind of covered it what do you think the alert is about sloths so I I actually googled i did i did this before too back okay. when we used to talk about sloths and i did it again just now i just googled why are sloths so popular is there <laughs> like a whole article I don't yeah get it you know it's it's just not and i found uh a manga bay article actually was the, one of the first like little google expert excerpt things that popped up like all the way back, I think it was in 2010. Of course, I didn't leave this pulled up, but that some video That's went earlier viral. Than peak. Yeah. Of, oh yes. Yeah. Of baby sloths. Like I think it was a rescue uh, that had posted. So I think there is that cute factor for some people. They are, you know, they got these little furry faces, big noses. Baby anything is cute. Baby sloths do t- typically hang on to mom. It's that's a darn cute thing to see. So sometimes you would have if you have orphan baby sloths, they might be like sitting on a stuffed animal or something like that for that. So I I think there's that sort of just general cute factor. Uh, some people are just really fascinated by their lifestyle, quote unquote, I guess, yeah. you know, just that whole like you said, you see the shirts with the lazy day or whatever on it. So I would get Hang a lot of people that there. would cut, yeah, <laughs> come up and be like, oh, the sloth is, man, I wish I could be a sloth or I, you know, I want to take some inspiration from the sloth and just sort of slow down my lifestyle. So I feel like maybe there's some people that, that connect to them on that level. And I think like you said, it's a double-edged sword. There's great things you want to get people more interested in animals in the natural world. And if the sloth is their connection, that's great. I think the problem has come now is, and and then of course the pop culture feeds into it. You have Ice Age, yeah. you have Zootopia that have these sloths that have become really popularized, but are of course animated characters and not the real animal, but people connect to that. And then you start to project your feelings and emotions and whatever uh, onto these animals and you see I know there have been videos that have gone viral and I see them pop up every so often of like the man helping a sloth across the road and then he saves it and then it turns and it smiles at him and waves at him and that's not what that sloth is do like you said they don't have the facial expression that's just the way the sloth's face looks and they yes. do lift up their arms and test and look for branches and that sloth was probably looking for something next to put his 
you know, claws on or whatever. So there's, it, it. it's tough to see people's love of sloths turn, I think, a little bit uh, dangerous in terms of how they think, what they think a sloth is and how they can interact with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit most of the points that I think about. And I think really that that aspect of them basically having a permanent smile on their face Mm. and being an animal that just doesn't really vocalize very much and doesn't give you most of the visual symbols of animals that we would consider uncomfortable or aggressive. Typically, they're not baring their teeth at you. They're not doing a lot of growling. They can growl. They don't do a lot of growling. I would say the sloths that I've seen when they're uncomfortable will do things like grind their teeth Mm -hmm. like something that you can't see but like you if you were touching them you might be able to feel but like it's so subtle but it's just there's for them it's their response to threats is oftentimes freezing Mm -hmm. it's not going to be to lash out the way that you would understand a tiger would for example And I think, yeah, you're right. And I think that just makes people like I'm looking at my cat who is curled up sleeping in a chair across the way. And that is the same position that I would see the sloths in most of the time was curled up and sleeping. And there is just something about that that maybe kind of makes people want to like, oh, I just want to snuggle with you. And that's just not what a sloth is all about at all. (laughs) Very solitary very you know uh just the the way that their senses are is just not accustomed to contact yeah they they want to be alone <laughs> and i think lots of people can relate to that too so we should mm-hmm. lean into that aspect yep. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so both in native countries where you can find sloths and in the u.s you can find tourist attractions that will either show sloths in a very ethical way or exploit them for their popularity what's the difference between ethical tourism and exploitation i do think that there's a line for people that can move a little bit it depends on you but there are again certain scientific things that i think we can draw some pretty strong conclusions about certain things that are definitely bad (laughs) um so in in my opinion and this is somewhat supported by some of the things that the sloth conservation foundation talks about um, good sloth tourism might include, if you're down in Central and South America, a tour guide bringing you into the sloth habitat, so into the rainforest, and the sloths stay in their tree and do their own thing, and you take dist- pictures from a distance. Um, the Sloth Conservation Foundation recommends no closer than 10 feet, which is about three meters. So you keep your distance. You kind of are basically unobtrusive observers of their lives. You might visit a sloth rescue, and um, those funds can go towards protecting those sloths. You got to do some research ahead of time. Um, Generally, you don't want to be looking for something that, uh, for example, dresses their sloths in like outfits or anything like that. And you shouldn't be looking for anything that allows you as a random person. Remember, you might be like, but I'm a good random person, a random person to hold their sloths right because if they're letting you do it and even if you're a good random person they're letting any random person hold it and that's a again a very stressful experience right and again i have seen this both as a tourist experience in central south america and as a tourist experience 
in the United States. So you can do that in different places. A responsible zoo would be another place where you could go see a sloth ethically. Um, The sloth should be doing its own thing. It should be kept in a clean and safe habitat. The sloth should only ever really be held by trained zookeepers, not by guests. And you might be able to do some safe interactions like feeding them, for example. Sloths have like a very specific diet. So it would be a zookeeper allowing you um, to feed them part of their diet. And then the sloth could also say, no, thank you. And that would be okay. (laughs) That's a very important aspect of it too, is there's, there's an element of choice there. Right. And these sloths should never have come originally from the wild, except for in rescue circumstances. Bad sloth tourism would include the sloth being restrained in any way. So you should not see a sloth leashed to a tree, for example. That's the sloth being restrained. This, you should not see sloths being put on tourists. They should not be put in clothes. They should not be being forced to really do anything that they don't want to do. Um, a lot of sloths in bad tourism situations do come directly from the wild. They have a life expectancy of about three to six months. And they spend a lot of their time, sloths are mostly nocturnal, a lot of their daytime hours just being popped on to random people. And remember, these sloths are probably inter- if they haven't gotten to the learned helplessness point of it where they're just like trying to just not get Freeze hurt and, yeah not mm-hmm. yeah you're a predator like that's again the basically they interact with trees and their babies and then otherwise you could be a rival mate or you could be a predator and generally humans and our loud stomping big bodies are much closer to a predator for them so I I know so many people and if you're someone who's done like something that I've listed here I'm not judging you cuz a lot of these people go in and have an experience that they they don't think about how it got to this point and like what the issues are they just want an experience with an animal they think is very cool I just think that if you really do love sloths you have to prioritize the sloth's well-being over this experience. And I mean, like, you might be like, cool, Casey, but like, you have been up close and personal with my favorite animal and you've held my favorite animal. I do genuinely feel this way. I love orangutans. There are experiences where you can do this with baby orangutans. I wouldn't, even though I think that that would be like the coolest thing in the whole world to be able to interact with them the way that like rehabbers do. I, that's not that's not what I have decided to do with my life. And Correct. so I'm I'm not going to make someone else's professional dedication to helping these animals just basically try it on for a day at the expense of the animal's welfare. Right. And that's a huge point. And you were trained to do yes. this and spent hours and this, you know, you were dedicated to taking care of these animals in a responsible manner. So all of those things that you just went through and the way that you interacted with them was all very responsible. Casey was not sitting there like snuggling up on sloths all day long because she just wanted to hold sloth. You know, you got to interact with them in ways that were appropriate for them and their care. Right. I, I, it was my job mm-hmm. <laughs> that I did all day and I did the gross parts of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that like I struggled 
with the ethics of it because some places do not touch their sloths basically at all. And honestly, I think after having that experience, that's what I would lean towards. It's like you can create t- train a sloth. I think that that's probably the best way to go. I don't think unless the animals particular like we had one sloth that would just he didn't even want to eat breakfast sometimes he's just like hold me and you're like okay you're a weirdo for a sloth (laughs) but I'll hold you because that's what you would want to do right now but there were others that were like growing out of the face where they wanted to be held and that that's the point where you know you you really have to keep that individual animal's needs in mind and you only know that as someone who would be interacting with them on a regular basis you can't know that as somebody who's just coming into their life for a moment so um, this source sort of also underscores why sloths are terrible pets. <laughs> um, this is also a problem for sloths, although I don't know that we have as much documented information about it. Why sloths are terrible pets. Um, it is illegal to have them in some states. So some of it's just off the table from that perspective. They like to be alone. They have super specialized bodies. We just went through a whole thing about. So good luck finding a vet who knows what the heck they're doing when it comes to a sloth. And would be willing to see one even if they did. Yep. They need to keep their bodies at high temperatures with super high humidity. Like it was so humid in that Mm -hmm. building. And we had to constantly like keep an eye on the humidifiers and the heaters and replace the HVAC system elements and make sure there weren't mold growing places or fruit flies hanging out. Like it's a lot of work that you don't actually want your house to be at. And also sloths typically only reproduce once every three years. They have one baby. And so that is not a sustainable pet trade situation. So there isn't really a market where you could get a ethically sourced baby sloth, even if they were decent pets, which they're not, again, not good pets. Um, They're coming from the wild. So that's just uh, bad all around. If the sloth is comfortable, you're miserable. And <laughs> uh, if you're comfortable, the sloth is miserable. The sloth is going to be miserable no matter what. And it's going to have come from the wild, which is where we need as many sloths as possible. And we need to protect them there. That's right. Sarah, do you have anything to add for the end of our episode here? No, but if you are not familiar with sloths, please do Google some pictures because I am looking at whole little snot, sloth noses right now. Mm, and uh, the, yeah, they, it does. Uh, somebody once described them as mini Chewbacca's with pig noses. <laughs> and it's my favorite description I've heard of a sloth ever. So if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, do yourself a favor, look them up, learn a little something about them. And yeah. in case you're going to give us some challenges. I definitely will. They are definitely, if a Star Wars character is on Earth right now, this is that alien species <laughs> or sloths. And yeah, absolutely. Look at both three-toed and two-toed because they're different and weird in their own unique little special ways. <laughs> um, but yes, I will give you more concrete challenges uh, when we come back. All right, we are back with the challenges portion of our episode, the part of the week where we give you some things to think about, some actions to do, some general guidelines for life, however we want to categorize it. So the first one I have um, is a general wildlife photography rule. So this can apply to sloths. It can apply to basically anything, um, birds that you're going to watch, whatever you need to do. When you're photographing wildlife, 
You should never be approaching an animal into their space and you should do your best to not disturb them. So whether that means that you're turning your flash off, if it means just making sure if it's a bird, you're probably going to stay farther than 10 feet away or you're never going to get a picture of that bird, but also never putting them in situations that make them uncomfortable, disrespecting their boundaries. General life rule number two, don't participate in unethical wildlife tourism opportunities. There are a lot of the same things we talked about here. Also apply to like petting a tiger or a monkey. Primates, yeah. yeah. There's lots of other species that are impacted in very similar ways to this. And so a lot of the same things that we just talked about are the same things to look out for other species as well. You're not exempt if you're someone who really likes spider monkeys. (laughs) There's, uh, There's basically the same issues with them as well. Um, and if you got a little extra money and you're looking for something to do with it that would contribute to science, you can look at either the Sloth Conservation Foundation or the number of rescues that are really underfunded in Central and South America that do a lot of the rescue work for sloths and rehabilitating them. There's a lot to learn for science and there's a lot of individual animals that need help. Um, and that network could almost always use more funding to make sure that they can fulfill their mission and take in more animals in need. Um, And hopefully, as we get closer to understanding them a little bit better, we'll be closer to protecting them as well. So those are my challenges of the week, Sarah. If people want to tell us their sloth stories or um, show us their ethically taken photograph, nope, photographs. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Where can they do that? If you've gotten to see a sloth in the wild, I want to see a picture. I don't care if it is an almost indistinguishable blob <laughs> way up in a tree. Like that, I want to see it. Give me it'll be a, like a Where's Waldo? Find the sloth. Send it our way. We are on Facebook. You can find us at a little greener podcast. We're on Instagram at a little greener pod. We're on Twitter at a greener podcast, and you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. Also, if you listened to our last episode, we're still always in the market. Get thoughts, suggestions, future episode ideas, eco-friendly resolutions. That's still the, I'm still saying it wrong. Eco-related resolutions, whatever. whatever. Uh, we always love to hear from you. So, uh, and thanks, Casey. Always fun to talk about sloths. Yeah, if we didn't cover something you liked about sloths too, tell us what your favorite fun fact about sloths are because we just scratched the surface. Mm -hmm. Like there is so much more we could have talked about, but we got to go. We don't want to keep you here forever. (laughs) So I hope you guys have a good week and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.